Give us ears to hear the message that your spirit would speak to us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, folks. My name is Cindy Babiak. I am the daughter of Mike and Suzanne Carr. I am the wife of the ruggedly handsome Carl Babiak. Mother to Dan, Joe, and Melissa. I'm Nana to Kaylee, Mark, Jace, and Juliet. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Mount Hope, and I'm also a registered nurse. These are the things that tell me who I am in this world, the things that are true about me. These defining factors about me help me to understand my identity, and they help me to know where I fit in within this world. And I'm betting that each and every one of you can call to mind similar facts about yourself. Let's face it, you know who you are, and you know what you do. And in knowing that, folks, you can know and understand how you fit in. When you look at these things about yourself, these defining factors, you too get an idea of your true identity. But I wonder if it is enough just to know who we are in this world. I would propose to you that I think not. I don't think it is enough. Because as much as I love being a daughter, and I love being a mom, and a nana, and a pastor, and a nurse, those defining factors do not sustain me when my life hits the wall. When difficulty hits me, when I'm feeling alone and I'm feeling unloved, which I think happens at some point to each and every one of us, I need to know more. Don't you? I need to know not only who I am in this world, but I need to know who I am to God. Because it's knowing who I am in God and knowing who I am to God that sustains me through the most difficult times of my life. One of Jesus' closest followers and friends, his name was Peter. He knows a little bit about what it is to try and establish an identity in this world. And then he knows what it is to establish his identity in Christ. Time and time again, Peter struggled with his sense of who am I, who he was. And ultimately, how Peter figured out who Peter was, was that he listened to what Jesus told him was that he looked at what God said about who Peter was and what Peter was called to do. And then, in turn, Peter turned around and he wrote and shared that understanding with the church. And in turn, he's sharing it with you and me. And so, in these words that we heard from Peter today are five defining facts about you and me that can help us to understand our place, not just in this world, but in God's kingdom and in God's eyes as well. And so I love these words so much. I'm going to read them to you again. Peter said this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. And so today, you and I are going to look at Peter's defining facts about us, and we're going to hold them next to scriptures all throughout the word of God. 
Because the word of God should be our daily reminder of who we are in God and who we are in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to be looking at Peter, and we're going to be hopping all throughout the scriptures today. Hold on to your hats, folks. Brace yourselves. The first defining fact from Peter's words about you and me is that you are completely accepted. You are completely accepted. When I was a kid, tell me if this ever happened to you, we would, I would be in gym class, and they would, the coach, the coach, uh, gym teacher would want to divide us into two teams. And so he would pick two team captains. Uh, we were playing kickball usually, and I'm just pff, not good at kickball at all. So he would pick two captains, and all the kids would line up along the wall. And one by one, the captains would choose the people for their teams, right? Now, um, I did mention that I'm not very good at kickball. I wasn't really all that popular. I wasn't one of the popular kids at the time. And I would be most of the time chosen like way late in the team selection process. And I, the whole time would be praying, God, please don't let me be the last one. Don't let me be the last one. Don't let me be the last one. Why? Because the last one, everybody knew nobody wanted on their team anyway. They just happened to be the last one, right? And, and I've always felt rejected, when I wasn't picked to be on the team. And it, it messed with my self-esteem when that would happen. It's painful to be rejected, is it not? It wounds us as human beings. Let me tell you, we desperately need to know that we're accepted. And when we don't feel like we have that acceptance, sometimes we look for it in all the wrong places, do we not? We need acceptance from the captain of the kickball team. We need acceptance from our friends. And from our coworkers, in fact, the desire to gain acceptance drives many of the aspects of our lives. The, the things we do, the cars we drive, the people we surround ourselves with, all are things we choose in order to help ourselves gain acceptance. How about the clothing we wear? I can find no other valid reason for the threads that we used to put on our bodies back in the 70s than that we were just trying to fit in with everybody else, right? Being chosen, being accepted, it makes us feel good and we need it as human beings. We like to feel accepted by another person for love. We like to be chosen for that promotion at work. We like to be accepted into friendships and friend groups. But what we forget is this, folks, you and I do not have to to chase after acceptance because God already gives it to you. Peter said, you are a chosen people. You have been chosen by God himself. You were not standing at the wall waiting to be chosen like I was in gym class, but rather you have been chosen by God. Now, how can we know that we've been chosen by God? Well, God tells us so in his word. Ephesians 1, 4 says this, God chose you before everything. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. What does that mean? It means that before God chose to make the oceans, he chose you to be his child. It means that before God chose to make the planets, he chose you as his beloved. 
Before God chose to ignite the sun or spin the galaxies in the heaven, God chose you to be his holy and blameless, most cherished child. God chose you. That makes you more than acceptable. And you're completely acceptable also, according to the word of God, because Jesus made you acceptable. Titus 3, 7 says this, Jesus treated us much better than we deserved. He made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. Listen to those words again. He made us acceptable. He gave us hope, made us and gave us. You and I will never earn acceptance by trying to earn it because it is a gift. You don't have to perform your way to acceptance because it is a gift by God given to you through Jesus Christ. The second defining factor about you from Peter's words are this. You are extremely valuable. In fact, you are priceless. Oh, my books, I left them up there. See them up on the pulpit? Let me run up and get them. I have these two books. They are precious to me. They were published in 1806. They're so old. They're precious to me because they're old. They're precious to me because they were a gift given by my son. They're in pretty decent condition. Few things wrong with them, which takes away from their value. But if they were in pristine condition, they would be priceless as old as these two books are. And what I want you to understand is that you're not just acceptable. You have been rendered by the Lord Jesus Christ to pristine condition. You have been made holy. And so you are priceless. You are extremely valuable. Peter reminds us, you are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Now understand this, that you belong to God makes you all the more valuable. Okay, your pristine condition, that's great. That makes you valuable. But that you belong to God makes you all the more valuable. Suppose you were at an auction and the auctioneer was auctioning off a sapphire ring. And it was pretty. You'd probably be willing to bid a certain price for that ring. But what if he told you it was the sapphire ring that Princess Diana wore on her finger on her wedding day? Suddenly it's priceless. Suddenly it's worth so much more. And what I want you to understand is that God has chosen you. You're his child. He owns you. The owner of you gives you your worth. You are priceless. You are priceless because you belong to the most holy God. You belong to the king of kings. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, you are a people holy to the Lord, his treasured possession. Friends, I want you to understand that when God looks at you, he sees you as his treasured possession. Nobody values you more than the Lord God in heaven. In uh, Isaiah 43, 4, he said this, you are precious to me. Precious to God in heaven. You are holy and you are precious to God and that makes you extremely valuable. So you're valuable because of the condition that you've been rendered to by Jesus' sanctifying grace. You're valuable because you belong to God. But guess what? You are of incredible worth because of the price that was willingly paid for you. My boys used to collect baseball cards. 
Every day we'd go over to the little store in Brookhaven. We'd hit McDonald's and then we'd go next door and they would open up all the cards, trying to get the valuable ones, trying to get the rare ones. So they'd say, Mom, we're going to be so rich. And I would tell them, listen, those cards are only worth the amount that somebody is willing to pay. And if we don't find somebody who's willing to pay a whole lot of money for those, we're not going to be rich because they're only worth the paper that they're printed on. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says this, You have been bought and paid for by Christ, so you belong to him. Jesus gave his life for you. You want to know how much you're worth? All you need to do is look at the price that was paid for you when Jesus stretched out his arms and said, I love you this much. Because he would rather have died than to live without you. If you want to know how valuable you are, you look at the cross. You are worth as much as the most precious thing God had to buy you with. The greatest ransom ever paid in the history of humanity was paid as a ransom for you by God with the life of his son. Who are you in Christ? You are completely accepted. You are extremely valuable. You are eternally loved. Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. In Jeremiah 31.3, these are the words of God. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. You and I need to remember two things from that passage about God's love for you. It's everlasting, that means it's unending. And it's unfailing, that means it's unconditional. God's love for you is unconditional. God will never say to you, listen, I'll love you if you behave yourself. God will never say to you, I will love you if you do good things for me in my kingdom. No, God says, I love you. Period. End of story. I love you. And sometimes that's hard for us as human beings to wrap our minds around because we struggle with unconditional love. How often do we say, oh, she's so pretty, I love her so much. But what happens when wrinkles set in and things start to sag the way they don't belong? Do we love her still? Sometimes. Sometimes we move on to a younger, prettier model. How about I love him because he just takes care of everything that I need. He meets my every need. But what happens when unemployment sets in. Do we still love then when our needs aren't met? But God, he's not like us. He loves unconditionally. He loves all the time. God says, I love you, period. I love you regardless of what you do for me. That's unconditional love. God is not fickle like you and I are fickle, and he doesn't change his mind like you and I change our mind. So guess what? You and I do not need to be insecure. We can rest securely in the knowledge that the love of God for you and for me is unending. It is everlasting. It is unfailing. You don't ever have to ask, does God love me today? Did I give enough? Did I hold my temper? Did I behave myself well enough? Because those are not the things that buy you God's love. The fact that God created you, and that God calls you his own. That's what buys you God's love. And know this. God is never going to love you one ounce more. Or even one ounce less than he loves you right this minute. God's love is unconditional. It's everlasting. You're eternally 
loved. The fourth defining factor about you is this. You are totally forgiven. Totally forgiven. Peter says, at one time you did not know God's mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. And in God's mercy, God has given you God's forgiveness. Do you realize that God knows the worst thing you will ever do? And he knows the worst things you have ever done. And he's decided in Christ to forgive you for all of that. You know, you and I, when we say we forgive, what we really do is we take that thing that we say we've forgiven, we tuck it away in the files back here in the back of our mind, and then we pull it out when we need to use it as leverage, don't we? But that's not how God forgives. When God forgives, the thing that needed forgiveness is totally gone. It's totally gone. God totally forgives. The Bible says it's completely removed from us. There's no grudge. There's no holding it in the back of his mind until he needs it as leverage. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God separates our sins from us. You are totally forgiven. Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't forgive us. He doesn't hold our wrongs against us. He forgives it all. That's what a loving God he is. Some of us have done things wrong. Maybe some of us have done terrible things, and we wonder, can God forgive me for that? The answer is yes. Yes, God totally forgives. And how can I know that I'm totally forgiven? Because it is God's nature to forgive. Isaiah 43, 21, these are the words of God himself. He said, I am the God who forgives your sins. And I do this because of who I am. I will not hold your sins against you. I know I'm totally forgiven because Jesus paid for my sins and that payment was sufficient. And when you look at the cross and what Jesus did on the cross and you see that you're accepted, you're loved, and you're forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7 for by the blood of Christ you are set free and your sins are forgiven. How great, how amazing is the grace of our God. And the last indicator of your identity that Peter gave us is this. You are fully capable. First Peter 2.9, you are a royal priesthood chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Folks, I got news for you today. You are a priest. Did you know that? If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, if you're born again and forgiven of your sins, then you are a priest. Now let's think about what a priest does. A priest represents God to the man and represents man to God. And God says, child of mine, you are capable. You are fully capable of doing that. In fact, not only are you capable to do it, but you're called to represent God to the people and the people to God. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? I haven't been, a, I haven't been to priest school. I haven't been to seminary. Well, here's how you do it. You represent the people to God by praying for those around you who have need and by bringing their requests before God in intercessory prayer. And you represent God to the people by sharing the good news with them. You do it by living an example of Christ-likeness like we're called to do for these babies here today. You represent God to the people by reaching out to those who are in need, by letting his light so shine through you that the people would see that and praise your Father in heaven. 
So I ask you, how many priests do we got here? Raise your hand if you're a priest. Every hand should go up. You are all priests. You're chosen, Peter says. You're called out. You are fully capable of representing God to the people and the people to God. And we can know that because we go back to the Word. And the Word says to us in 2 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6, the capacity we have comes from God. It is he who has made us capable of serving the new covenant. So your capability comes from God. Your calling comes from Christ, who, you might remember, told us to go and make disciples, who told us to let our light so shine, who told us to live it he, as he lives and to teach the people to do so as well. Now, sometimes I'll admit I don't feel capable. Sometimes I admit I don't feel capable to stand in front of you and say any, kinds of, any words. But that's what I tell myself. And you tell yourself sometimes I'm not capable. Like, how am I going to share the gospel with people? I don't know what to say. And here's what I ask you. Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe what your thoughts are telling you? You're going to believe what the word of God tells you? Because the word of God tells you that you are capable to handle anything that God lays before you in this life. And so when you think I can't do that, on your own you probably can't. You're probably right. But Christ gives you the power to do the things through him that you can't do on your own. And you and I can know that's true when we go back to the word of God and we see the promise of Philippians 4.13. Who knows what that says? It says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So go ahead and be that prayer warrior because you can do it through Christ who gives you strength. And you go ahead and you be a Sunday school teacher because you can do that through Christ who gives you strength and you be a small group leader, and you visit that person who needs a loving word and some company because you can do these things through Christ who gives you strength because God called you and Christ made you capable to do what it is, what it is that he called you to do. And so, my friends, when you're considering who you are in this world, when you're looking for your true identity, it is important to know that you're a mom or a dad or a teacher or a mechanic or a really cool student, but it's more important for you to remember that you are completely accepted. You are extremely valuable. You are eternally loved. You are totally forgiven, and you are fully capable in your calling through Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is your true identity. Let us assume it right now. Amen.